I have this visual in my mind of a cartoon consisting of three characters. The two in the front are referring to the one in the back, and the two in the front are saying, whatever you do, don't bring up neonicotinoids or we'll be here all night. You're listening to episode 36, Working the Night Shift. Pesticides, neonics, the systemics, these are things that Tom Theobald and I discussed at length throughout our friendship. However, they don't come up much in this podcast. Pesticides are political, the subject's technical, and discussions about them can feel difficult. This episode is an important one because I get to ask Tom, How did he feel about talking about the neonics as he neared the end of his life? My name is Laura Tyler. I'm your producer and host. This is episode 36, Working the Night Shift, written by Tom Theobald in 1991 and read by Tom in 2021. Six a.m. and Barbara and I pull up to the hygiene cafe. The first rays of the rising sun cast long shadows across the Saint Brain Valley. The slow crawl of commuter traffic through the small town of Hygiene has yet to start, and the streets are still and peaceful, except for a local dog that ambles carelessly through the intersection. Soon the pace will change as cars and people flow through town like an ebbing tide, draining from northern Boulder and southern Larimer counties into the sink which has become our equivalent of Silicon Valley. Off to the south, three spray planes, silent for the distance, swoop and dive gracefully in the crystal air of dawn, like dragonflies dipping to the surface of a pond and there is solemn poetry to the scene. Our day is neither ending nor beginning, merely pausing as we enter the warm cafe for breakfast. We have been up since 2 a.m., closing in two yards of bees, and after a good meal, we will stop briefly at home, where Barbara will shower and change before leaving for her daytime job. I will change some of the contents of the truck, then head off for a day of beekeeping. By mid-afternoon, I must return under a blazing sun to release the bees closed in the night before in the cold and dark. If I fail to make the appointment, the colonies will likely die from overheating or suffocation. But I hold them in as long as possible for I know what awaits them in the field. It is spray season once again. For two months I have been working with the bees, supplementing the stores for the hungry, strengthening the weak, holding back the strong, and doctoring the sick. Double queening began with the appearance of the dandelions, and on the dandelion flow, The bees began to overcome the stress of winter 
and the prospects brightened. Then, just as things begin to come together, and the last of the queens go in, an annual war with the alfalfa weevil commences. In the early 70s, there were massive bee kills in Boulder County from alfalfa spraying. Around the country, beekeepers and sprayers were at each other's throats, each wishing the other would just go away. I came upon the scene just as the first meeting was held in Boulder County, between aerial applicators and representatives of the beekeepers. The Boulder County Beekeepers Association was formed in 1975, aimed at drawing historically independent and individualistic beekeepers together. That same year, we supplied the sprayers with a county map which located all the known bee yards. Working from the map, the sprayers could call one individual, a representative of the beekeepers, who would in turn notify any affected beekeepers of the spraying. Those early efforts soon became a model for the state, as other beekeepers and other applicators saw that there was more to be gained from cooperation than from fighting. As we enter our 16th year, I've come to know the sprayers fairly well, and I like them, in spite of the hazards their business represents to mine. They have all been conscientious in upholding their end of the bargain, and in more than one instance, spray plans have been postponed or altered to accommodate a beekeeper. But spray season is indeed a war, and the solution we have hammered out over the years is far from perfect. Like any other war, there is collateral damage. And in this war, the collateral damage consists of birds, wildlife, beneficial insects, and in spite of our best efforts, bees. There aren't many options for the beekeepers. They can move the bees or screen them in. Since few beekeepers in the county are able to move their bees, screening in is the choice of most. Entrances are screened at night, when all of the fielders are in, but the bees must be released in the afternoon or they can succumb to the confinement. The worst of the damage can usually be avoided by screening the bees in, but there will still be substantial mortality of fielders from the lingering effects of the pesticides on the second and third days. Even under the best of circumstances, the colonies will be weakened and will have to recover quickly in June if a crop is to be made. I usually start hearing from the sprayers around 6.30 in the evening, and from then until dark, I spend my time calling other beekeepers. Then, if any of my own yards are at risk, I hit some of the same roads I traveled during the day to close my bees in. Depending on the numbers involved, I may be home by 10 or out into the wee hours of the morning. In any event, during May and early June, and at various other times throughout the summer, 
I reluctantly worked the night shift. So, Tom, this feels like it's an important episode because this is the first time that you're talking in a detailed way about the pesticide issue and the bees. You know, here in Boulder County and a lot of other places, if you weren't interested in pesticides, you weren't a beekeeper. So I had to become interested in pesticides at the very beginning. You said you came upon the scene just as the first meeting was held. Do you want to talk about what that means? Were you part of the group that called the meeting? Um, How did that first meeting come about? Who was there? What was that like? Well, the meeting came about as a result of two fairly significant spray kill seasons in 74 and 75. And Lynn Teets called the beekeepers together in October of 1975. Lynn was the largest beekeeper in the county, and uh, he was at that time he was the county bee inspector. I think we had about 15 people present. And I had started in August of that year working with Harlan Henderson, And Harlan called me in October and said, Tom, would you like to buy half my bees? He had about 80 colonies. Hmm. I discussed that with Barbara, and she was agreeable, so we bought half of Harlan's bees. Well, between the two of us, we were the two big frogs in the small pond. (laughs) What do you mean? (laughs) Well, together we had 100 colonies of bees, Lynn Teets was the largest beekeeper with 100. The rest of the people there probably had maybe a half a dozen each. Mm -hmm. So we were the big dogs on the block. And pretty soon, by January, Lynn and I had been delegated the responsibility of meeting with the county agent and the aerial applicators to see if we couldn't reach some cooperative agreement. Do you remember what some of the options were that you discussed in that first meeting? Like, did it happen? Everyone agreed right away that this was the way to go? Well, it was pretty obvious that we had to work together or it was going to be continued warfare. And one of the applicators who came to that meeting uh, said to hell with you and just walked out. Didn't want to be bothered. The other one agreed to work with us, and that was the beginning of the cooperative spray program. Mm -hmm. Can you explain to people why most beekeepers are unable to move their colonies in the summertime? Well, because they're heavy and awkward, and they just don't have the facilities to move the colonies at that time of the year. They don't have the lifting equipment. They don't have trailers. They don't have trucks to pull the trailers. They just don't have the ability to move their bees. So the only realistic option for them is to screen their bees in. And can you explain how screening the bees in works? It's only semi-effective. 
Usually it means a U-shaped screen at the bottom, the bottom entrance, and then probably a screen across the top to provide additional ventilation. That's enough to keep those bees alive, keep them from suffocating until about two or three in the afternoon. Can't go much further than that. And even at that, there's still going to be some bee kill. Mm-hmm. If they're not screened in, the bee kill can be substantial, even with the screening. There can be an arc of dead bees two inches deep and extending 18 inches out from the front of the colony, virtually the whole field force. Mm. Very discouraging for a beekeeper, and I'm sure you understand. Yeah, it's really, it's heartbreaking. We have not had a lot of spray kills. I think aerial spraying is less now than it used to be. Yes, And then in the areas where we have had spray kills, it's just very sad. What it reflects is the the kill of the entire field force of that colony. Mm -hmm. And we could recover from even that level of damage because at that time we had two things that we don't have now. We had virtually healthy colonies of bees and a virtually healthy environment. Today we have neither. What do you mean? Well, the bees are struggling and the habitat has declined. To have that kind of loss at one time takes a tremendous recovery and the bees just couldn't do it today. Mm-hmm. Can you describe to us what it felt like getting these phone calls. So it sounds like you had a lot of work to do. You would get a call and then need to call everyone, and then you would need to do your own work as well. Yes, it made for some very long days. A lot of the beekeepers didn't really understand what they needed to do, even though they had been told previously They didn't really understand what they needed to do, and far too often they wouldn't have prepared ahead of time. They wouldn't have had screens prepared to put in the entrance. They wouldn't have screens that would go on top of the colonies. It was a very sad situation, and it was mostly the beekeepers that paid the price. There's a line in here where you say around the country, beekeepers and sprayers were at each other's throats, each wishing that the other would go away. It was pretty volatile. We had a lot of bees sprayed out. A lot of beekeepers told, to heck with you, go away. We even had situations where we had applicators come home with wing holes. Really? Yeah. Wow. In Boulder County? Yeah. I don't think that was very common, but as I recall, Uh it happened. Mm -hmm. There's a beautiful example of cooperation here where you talk about how the early efforts became a model for the state and people saw that there was more to be gained by cooperating than from fighting. Well, actually, it, it became a model for the state where it was needed and also became a model for the country. 
because this wasn't something that was exclusive to Boulder County. This was a problem all across the country where alfalfa was raised and alfalfa weevils were a problem and the conflict between the beekeepers and, and the applicators was common. So this became a model for the entire country. It really had to. We couldn't go on the way we were going. Mm -hmm. It feels like things have changed since this time. Like back then, maybe I'm romanticizing it, but there was a solution. There was a simple solution. You either try and locate your bees in a place where spraying is not happening, or you can screen them in, and if they're otherwise healthy, they should be able to recover. And now with the neonics, everything is a lot more confusing. With aerial application, it was pretty clear what the cause and effect were. But as time has gone on, the chemical companies have made a more concerted effort to blame the loss of bees on anything but their chemicals. I think one of the major causes of the losses that we're seeing is the neonicotinoid family of pesticides. Mm -hmm. The chemical companies has made, have made every effort they can to blame the losses on anything but the chemicals. Right. So what I'm hearing from that is that when there was aerial spraying going on, there was a real clear cause and effect that you could observe. Yes. Between the chemical being applied and your bees dying. And it sounds like what you're saying is with the systemic, the neonicotinoid pesticides, that that awareness, that understanding doesn't exist anymore. Correct. And they don't want to hear me say that. They're tired of hearing me talk about the neonicotinoids. I have this visual in my mind of a cartoon consisting of three characters. And the two in the front are referring to the one in the back. And the two in the front are saying, whatever you do, don't bring up neonicotinoids <laughs> or we'll be here all night. <laughs> well, Tom, that's kind of true. Um, you do have a reputation for talking about neonicotinoids. You do. I think I've spent enough time to speak with knowledge. So when I met you, it was probably around, I don't know, 1999 or 2000 when I met you. I remember attending a meeting, Boulder County Beekeepers Association, and I'm sure you were talking about pesticides and PENCAP-M in particular yes. was a topic around then. This conversation about pesticides, it's been a theme in our friendship since I've known you. It's something we've talked about a lot. And something about this podcast that's a really different experience for me is that we're talking about bees without talking about pesticides, at least until now. I was wondering if you wanted to comment on the experience of doing the podcast, not talking about pesticides, how that's felt, and then what is the place of that conversation in your life right now? I think uh, we should hold off on the details of that conversation till the future. Because? I think people are tired of hearing 
me talk about it. I'm tired of talking about it and being ignored by people who know less about what they're talking about than I do. I'm tired. Mm-hmm. I'm worn out. Thank you for listening to Notes from the Beard. To read more of Tom's thoughts about the neonics, you can find them on his blog. It's called Tom's Corner at bouldercountybeekeepers.org. We'll be back in two weeks with episode 37. In the meantime, hop on over to notesfromthebr.buzz and subscribe.